You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show is always brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa every day. A great day to get by Peterbrook Chocolatier. Back to normal hours now, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. So maybe you grab a little dinner from uh, next door. From a Southern Ale House, and then you sneak on over and uh, cap the night with a little chocolate treat. Open at 10 a.m., though. Never too early for chocolate. Never, ever too early for chocolate there at Peterbrook Chocolatier. Joined, as always, on the program by executive producer Joe Gaither, who together we combine to form the 60 bit a sports talk radio. Joe, how you doing this morning? Oh, I'm doing great today, Travis. Having a great day. How about yourself? Did you watch any of the USL soccer? We gave out some homework last night, yesterday, on the program. I did watch uh, it. Yes, you did. You watched the Birmingham Legion. That was live football. Okay, it was European football. But it was live sporting action in the state of Alabama in front of a crowd. I didn't watch a ton of it. I watched enough of it to learn a couple of things, Joe. I had no idea that Tim Howard, a great American – former goalkeeper for the U.S. men's national team, was now in goal these days for Memphis 901 in the USL. Same. Okay. I did not know that. And he, he was he was not supported well by the back end of the, uh, of the Memphis 901 squad because the Legion just absolutely blitzed him there in the first, uh, first half of last night's match. Uh, that was something I, I certainly learned. And um, – you know, we also learned that uh, you can social distance some crowds, I guess, at these sporting events. We saw it, too, I guess, with NASCAR, uh, the all-star race last night. So, look, we're trying to give you some good news on the sports front as we get things off and running here on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Chase Elliott wins that all-star race last night. Didn't catch a lap of it, but I can tell you that Chase Elliott did win the race in front of, again, we talk about crowds at sports. Largest U.S. sports crowd since the pandemic really took hold here in America. So there you go. Some positivity right out the gate. You know what else, Joe Gaither? You know what else you will be doing one week from today? Tell me about it. I don't, I don't care if you're a baseball fan or not, but you will do this next Thursday. You will watch Major League Baseball next Thursday, won't you? Guaranteed. I mean, if nothing else... You'll just turn it on and leave the volume up. I don't even know how much of it I'll actually watch, Joe, but just having the volume up and the pacing of the announcers, the sound of the ball and the mitt, and you should be able to hear it pretty good unless they're going to pipe in some crowd noise on these broadcasts. The ball hitting the mitt, the ball hitting the bat, you know, those will just, those will be comforting, won't they? I mean, it'll be a psychological thing as much as anything else. Just knowing that the that it's taking place, I'll, I'll just have the volume up, Joe. 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm really going to be enjoying that. Uh, uh, honestly, I might shed a tear. I'm well, ha- ha- yeah. to have one of the four major sports back in our back in our lives. Yeah, and then a week later, you know, we're set to have the NBA. So things are ramping back up in terms of professional sports. We're still waiting to see. The trend doesn't seem to be as positive in collegiate sports. You know, yesterday we ran the poll here on the program, and we asked the question where football was concerned, which level of football did you feel like was least likely to be contested at all during the upcoming months before the turn of the new year? And the overwhelming, well, the large majority choice, we'll say anyway, the consensus was high school football, which we outlined some reasons why that was kind of an interesting choice on yesterday's program, because we really haven't heard all that much at the high school level of you know, state leagues, uh, state governing bodies making the call on the upcoming season from the prep perspective. Now, we did see, I think it's Virginia, has decided it's not playing football in the fall. You know, we talked about South Carolina yesterday, the state of South Carolina, the SCHSL, and there was a lot of talk about that state flipping the sports and putting spring sports in the fall, more so because the opportunity to social distance in sports like baseball and softball is there, obviously, a good bit more than football. So there was sort of that narrative going around with South Carolina, but ultimately I learned that South Carolina yesterday voted to push the season back, the fall sports seasons back, and then play a wait-and-see approach to see you know, what exactly they're going to be able to do. But you know, we haven't heard as much about that yet from the high school leagues. Um, college football, you know, we already know that a couple of power fives are going conference only, uh, to this point anyway. And then you heard today another FCS level conference, the MEAC. Uh, you know, that includes the likes of Florida A&M. That's really a, a Southern type affiliated FCS conference home to oh, HBCU programs. Uh, they announced this morning that they will not play football this fall. So, again, more of a wait-and-see approach, especially where the Southeastern Conference is concerned, the Atlantic Coast Conference, the Big 12. Now, you did hear from Yahoo.com today in terms of testing protocol across the Power Fives. And this is why, as we've talked about for weeks now, the, the conference-only sort of viewpoint was going to become stronger and stronger was because you weren't going to be able to have, with group of fives and FCS opponents on so many of these schedules, I think the MEAC, who canceled football today, had seven games scheduled with FBS programs for the upcoming fall, so those are going by the boards. But to have that level protocol set in place that you can have with the Power Five conferences. So no surprise that that was supposed to come out today, and again, Yahoo.com is reporting that from a testing procedural standpoint, what you're going to see is testing take place on Wednesdays of game weeks before Saturday games. And, you know, Wednesday is always a very important day during the college football uh, regular season week. If you notice, places like Alabama – and if you're kind of a hardcore fan, you, you do this already. But Wednesday, from an injury perspective, kind of lets you know and get a good idea. And I can promise you the folks out in Vegas pay attention to Wednesdays, too, around college football in general and when it comes to injury reports. If a guy hasn't practiced by Wednesday of a game week, there's a really, really good chance he's not going to be able to go on Saturday. And if he does go he's not going to be close to 100%. Wednesday is pretty much that line of demarcation in the practice week. If you hear from Nick Saban on Wednesday night, which you typically do during the football season after practice, and Saban gives an injury report, and look, Saban compared to a lot of coaches, I know he's got this sort of rep as being real close to the vest with a lot of stuff, but a lot of times Nick will come right out and tell you, you know, what his expectation is. And initially during his tenure, you wondered if maybe he was just 
sort of practicing a little bit of gamesmanship and maybe trying to put some mixed signals out there. But I would I would contend that more often than not, when Nick Saban puts something out there from an injury standpoint, it holds up. It'll pretty much hold up. So you know, Wednesdays were already kind of that day. The thing about testing on Wednesday is, I guess, given the turnaround, you're still not going to know the last time you hear from a head coach or you have maybe – you know, practice uh, media periods, which who knows if those will still exist in, in the midst of all this, let alone even after we're through it. Um, you know, you're not going to get those kind of reports heading into a uh, heading into a Saturday. So it'll be a mystery. You know, if you have testing on Wednesday, um, you know, and you get a positive back on Thursday, and you do you want to do that obviously because if you're still traveling on Friday. You, know, you you got to know who you can put on the bus or the plane or however you're going to travel this fall and who you can't. So uh, that'll be an interesting thing to follow, hopefully, as we get into some semblance of a college football season. 205-342-9904 is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. If you would like to check in with us uh, on this Thursday edition of the program, we are guest-free today. We are wide open, so if you want to check in, uh, you can feel free to do that. A couple things we're going to do on the show today. You know, I believe it's on this day of the SEC Media Days on an annual basis that we get the media's picks for an all-SEC team. And you also get the division predictions, the overall champion. I know 247sports.com has done some of that, my home company there. But we're going to go through it from the... Southern Fried Sports Vantage Point, and we're going to put together our own SEC Media Days All-SEC team. Now, I'm not going to go two or three teams deep, all right? I'm going to give you a first team. I'm going to give you an offense. I'm going to give you a defense. I'm going to give you some specialists, and then uh, that'll be it for the Southern Fried Sports All-SEC team, but we'll have some fun with that, and we'll also talk about this has already sort of been in play with the with spring practice at Alabama uh, being wiped away back in March and April. And you've heard from Nick Saban throughout this process that veteran players should benefit as far as position battles go with spring practice not happening and young players not having that opportunity to maybe show as much during the course of those 15 practices and certainly not the ability to take what a lot of times is another big step where young players are concerned. A lot of times, first-year players, they come in as freshmen, and you might even still see them on the playing field as true freshmen, but that doesn't mean they're not swimming. You know, They're just athletically gifted enough, or there's a big enough need at their respective position, or maybe in the kicking game, or maybe a combination of all those things. And so they're sort of thrown into the fire. You saw that firsthand if you're an Alabama fan last year on the defensive side of the ball. So it's really for a lot of those guys about surviving to January and getting into that next run of the off-season program and then getting into spring practice in March and April and continuing into the summer months with workouts and voluntary uh, uh, stuff that they were they were typically doing on the uh, on the usual college football calendar year. That's obviously changed a good bit. And right now we're actually in a mandatory workout phase, as we've talked about here in the last couple of days. But, you know, that's when a lot of young players being on that track are able to to make that next big move. And so without that, yes, it would absolutely seem to benefit the guys that have been in the program two, three, maybe even four, going on five years. You know, Alabama, as much as we talk about three and outs, Alabama has benefited from some fifth-year guys, and we'll do that once again in 2020. You had a guy like Anthony Jennings last year, a fifth-year guy, looking ahead to 2020. You can just look at the offensive line for more on that. Deontay Brown, fifth-year guy. Landon Dickerson, fifth-year guy. A lot of value in those fifth-year guys. How about Josh McMillan, sixth-year guy, you know? So those are the type of players with that type of experience that uh, if you if you consider what the young players didn't get in the winter and the spring and even into the summer months, 
And you also now consider the likelihood that you're either going to be conference only in your schedule or maybe you do go conference and ACC and or Big 12 and pair that way. And we had that discussion with Cecil Hurt yesterday. Doesn't sound like Dallas is totally out of the mix, totally off the board. Maybe uh, not doing well, but uh, perhaps not totally gone. You know, there's been talk now of potentially an SEC pairing with another league and a plus one option for scheduling for the upcoming season. Regardless, you're talking about Power Five exclusive football, whether it's conference only, whether there's an alliance, a pairing with another league. Um, you're not going to have Georgia State. You're not going to have, uh, in all likelihood, uh, Kent State. You're, you're not expecting to have Tennessee Martin. And from the Alabama perspective anyway, you are already going to open with Southern California. So it wasn't like you were exactly wading into the, uh, the shallow end of the pool. Now, you weren't opening with Georgia State. Georgia State is scheduled still to come to Tuscaloosa the next weekend. But even in the, in the, in the, in the scenario that was scheduled and still scheduled, you're thinking you have to be really good that first week. And so you think about the offensive line and maybe some different looks you could give it. You know, do you keep Landon Dickerson, a fifth-year senior at center? Do you move him to a guard spot to try to get your best five on the field? You know, if Evan Neal goes out to right tackle, you know, maybe some of those scenarios change a little bit too. And, again, those are positions. You talk about center. You want some veteran presence there, right? Some continuity for sure, right there in the middle of your offensive line, making calls, making checks. So uh, we'll talk about some of those scenarios as well. Obviously quarterback, one of them, Mac Jones, who did plenty of good things on his own merit last season. But he should be one of those guys as well. We'll talk about the secondary a little bit too as we move along. Get ahead to our first break. When we come back, we'll begin p- putting together – the Southern Fried Sports SEC Media Days that weren't all SEC team right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. And a hot, humid summer afternoon. The sky partially sunny. A few spots could see a passing storm through the evening hours. A high today, 97. Tonight's low, 75. Tomorrow's sunny during the morning. A few isolated afternoon storms are possible. The high, 96. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide! Travis Ryder, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. You know, got out and did the old morning walk this morning. I was expecting borderline unbearable conditions, even at like 9.30 or 10 o'clock. It wasn't as bad as I thought. Now, look, I don't work outside for a living, all right? That's not what I do. I'll be the first to tell you that. So to those good folks... That are outdoors all day long. I know, right? I was out there for about 45 minutes. So not exactly an expert on the topic of uh, hot. But uh, didn't seem as humid anyway. Not as humid out there this morning. So that's a good thing. Hey, uh, you got the PGA Tua up there still in Dublin, Ohio. Layover week at Muirfield Village. Transitioning from the Workday Charity Open to the Memorial which has been deferred on the PGA Tour calendar, 
course, with the COVID-19 pandemic throwing everything in the sports world into a state of flux. But the Memorial First Round, they're out and about up there at Muirfield Village. Bud Cawley and Justin Thomas, the two golfers, making up your Alabama contingent for this event. Justin, of course, coming off a disappointing finish to his event last Sunday up there. Uh, had the one-shot lead. Actually had a, what, three-shot lead with three to go. And saw that go away before losing in a playoff to Colin Morikawa. Justin with an early tee time this morning. A little bit of a malaise. Maybe a little bit of a workday open, workday charity open hangover for Justin Thomas. Plus four right now through 13 holes. He teed off on number 10. So he is actually playing the front side at Muirfield Village right now. A couple of wayward tee shots. Got up this morning. Had the coffee. Put on the PGA Tour Live. Was able to catch Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, and Xander Shoffley in that same group together. Sweeping the dew up there in Ohio. Justin Thomas, four over through 13. That is tied for 58th right now. Dustin Johnson, also four over. So it hasn't been a... uh, Hadn't been exactly a stellar first round for either of those guys. A couple of the top five players in the world. And, you know, you say, well, you're going to stay on the same golf course for a second straight week. How are you forever? I don't think Jack Nicholas, you know, the man up there at Muirfield Village, that's basically Jack's baby, Muirfield Village. I don't think Jack had the greens running last week for that workday charity open like he's going to have it this week for his very own event the memorial think those uh think those greens might be a little more icy a little more speed to them a little more augusta like than they were last week that's why you're probably seeing some lower scoring in other words i don't think anybody's getting a 20 under this week on this very same golf course i think set up you know going to be different in a multitude of ways with the speed of the greens probably being chief among them. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. If you'd like to jump on board with us, as promised, we're going to get into constructing an all-SEC team of our very own here on the program. Typically, this is a day at the SEC Media Days when you would hear about those uh, all-SEC choices those divisional picks and an overall champion and what we'll do is we'll start on the defensive side of the ball we'll save the offense for the next segment and if we're going to start on defense we're going to start with my favorite guys you can have the corners you can have the dbs you can have the pretty boys on defense give me the big dudes and i'm going to get it going with tyler shelvin the big defensive tackle nose tackle type For the LSU Tigers, 39 tackles last year, three for loss against Alabama here in Tuscaloosa. He started at nose tackle in a three-man nickel front for the Tigers. He had three assisted tackles against UA in that win. Give me Tyler Shelvin. See him on a lot of early first-round mocks for the 2021 NFL draft. So I'm going with the biggest of big dudes right there in Shelvin. Um. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of a flyer. And I haven't been as quick to drink the Kool-Aid with this guy, and I'm still a little bit hesitant. I'm still a little bit reluctant. But, you know, there's not a lot of returning DL production in the SEC from a year ago that's coming back. There's not a Derrick Brown this year. You know, even a guy like Marlon Davidson moving on. Raquan Davis for Alabama moves on. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to, I'm going to drink a little of the Christian Barmore Kool-Aid. There you go. I'm taking a sip, just a sip. I'm going to drink it in moderation for now, but Christian Barmore, because I think he is very much capable of putting up the kind of numbers that are going to warrant that type of consideration. And again, I look around the league and I just don't see a lot of guys coming back that are like, oh yeah, slam dunk. You know, he's a definite dude. Go ahead and put him in there. And Javon Kinlaw is gone. You know, Derek Brown's gone. So there is room for a guy like Christian Barmore, who there is a lot of buzz around in this preseason. 
to take a big step in his third year and become sort of a double-digit tackles-for-loss guy. Maybe a guy who approaches eight, nine, ten sacks to go along with it. In other words, to become a third-year player along the lines of a Quinnen Williams and Deron Payne before him. I'm not all in, okay? I'm not, uh, I'm not car bombing a shot at Christian Barmore just yet, but I, I will, I will go with him here. I will go with him. How about the linebacker positions? You know, it seems like every year, is it just me or does Missouri return a linebacker every year who had like 7,000 tackles the previous season? It's like every year. It's either Missouri or Arkansas. Seems like Arkansas and Missouri always bring back linebackers who had 150 tackles. And then you start looking at all SEC list and it's like nobody buys it. And I think Nick Bolton of Missouri is going to be that kind of guy again this year, a veteran player, returning leading tackler in the SEC. So I get it. I see why he's showing up on some lists. For all I know, Nick Bolton will go on to play 15 years in the NFL. Hope he does. Hope he does. But if I'm going to pick a couple of three inside linebacker types for an all-SEC team right now in the middle of July, I'm going to go with Dylan Moses, like most everyone else from Alabama. But my other guy is damn sure going to be Henry Toa Toa. To me, if you don't have Henry Toa Toa, the sophomore linebacker from Tennessee, somewhere in maybe even your top 10 overall defensive players, not just linebackers, but overall defensive players, uh, you haven't done a lot of homework. So I like Dylan Moses, Henry Toa Toa of Tennessee. I know that name still agitates some Alabama fans because it looked like Alabama had Henry Toa Toa in the boat couple of classes ago didn't happen you'd like to think about those two together this year wouldn't you even last year of course Moses missed the season with injury Toa Toa goes to Tennessee talk about the imperfect storm for Alabama at inside linebacker how about Monty Rice Huntsville Alabama native veteran linebacker at the University of Georgia he'd be in that mix as well KJ Britt of Auburn outside linebacker you know when you lose a Caleb Vaughn, Chason, Jonathan Greenard, I think you could put in that mix too. Although Greenard, maybe you would consider him more of a defensive lineman on this team. And again, he's part of the reason at that spot why I think it's possible for a Barmore to really vault up into these, you know, all-star type teams. Um, but Caleb Vaughn, Chason of LSU moves on to the NFL. Anthony Jennings, Terrell Lewis of Alabama move move on um you know I keep waiting for these Georgia edge defenders that it seems like every year Kirby Smart signs the number one outside linebacker the number not last year because that was this last cycle because that was Alabama with the work it did there at outside linebacker but Aziz Ojolari is back Nolan Smith is one of those guys that I'm talking about from a couple of cycles ago out of IMG But right now, what I see is more of an inside linebacker group if I'm going to pick four linebackers there. It's probably going to be Moses, Toa Toa, Monty Rice, or K.J. Britt. Maybe Nick Bolton gets in there as well. More inside linebacker heavy for me on my team. How about on the back end of the defense? Let's start with the cornerback position. Uh, There's the slam dunk at LSU and Derek Stingley. I think there's actually a couple of slam dunks coming from LSU. I'm going to give you another one here in just a minute at safety. But Derek Stingley Jr., not only going to be considered a slam dunk for all SEC honors, but all America. Jim Thorpe Award, overwhelming favorite, I think, going into the season. That argument could be made that, you know, a year ago he was pretty clearly LSU's top overall defensive back. Grant Delpit won the Thorpe Award. Uh, there are plenty of people who would tell you that Grant Delpit was third or fourth in terms of top overall defensive back in that LSU secondary. Stingley, um, and then the other corner, you know, Patrick Sertan II will be in that mix. I like Eric Stokes of Georgia. I'm kind of an underdog guy. And Eric Stokes, when you look at him, you don't think he's all that much. And the expectation was for Patrick Sertan's old High school teammate down there at American Heritage in South Florida, Tyson Campbell. Remember Tyson Campbell? Went to Georgia. Another five-star corner. 
kind of the expectation was Campbell walk right in there, kind of like Sertan did here a couple years ago, become a big-time factor in that secondary, ease his way through three years, make his way to the National Football League. I haven't seen it from Tyson Campbell yet. I like Eric Stokes, the better of those guys at Georgia. And then Bryce Thompson, good player. Had his issues off the field. Bryce Thompson, a good player at the corner position. So I'll go Stingley for sure. And then based on what I've seen to this point, I'm going to go Eric Stokes of Georgia. Now, if you want me to give you a third corner, maybe a star defensive back, I would go with Sertan then. Because I think Sertan could find himself in that role at Alabama this year. If things play out like I think Pete Golding would like them to, Josh Job, another corner, maybe it's Marcus Banks, maybe it's Ronald Williams, the junior college transfer, maybe it's Jalen Armour Davis, any of those guys at corner. Maybe they step it up enough that when Alabama goes to nickel and dime, Sertan can move inside to star. I think that would be ideal for the Alabama secondary. As for the safeties, I'm going to go Richard LeCount of Georgia. And then I, I like uh, I like Stevens. Jacoby Stevens, the safety from LSU. The other safety, as he was referred to last year in the LSU secondary. Again, I don't think there was any other about it. I think he was the guy of the two. When you talk about uh, Grant Delpit being the, you know, Delpit, what he benefited from, and I think Xavier McKinney benefited from some of this too, was the different ways in which he was used by LSU. You know, you would see Grant Delpit up in the box. You didn't see Grant Delpit all that much in the deep middle of the field. That was probably more Jacoby Stevens. In fact, you would also see Kerry Vincent, who I think is an undervalued defensive back, who will be back this year. Kerry Vincent, when the LSU would go to some more of its dime stuff, Kerry Vincent, would he would go from star, he would go to the middle of the field. Because really, Stevens... And Delpit, when you look at those guys, they look more like strong safety types than they do, say, Eddie Jackson um, or that type of player, Deontay Thompson. So Kerry Vincent, his versatility, I think he's one of those guys. You won't see him on any all-SEC list, but I think uh, deserving of some mention for sure. Okay, we'll get into some specialists before we wrap up this segment. We'll get into the offense when we come back from the break. Place kicker, yeah. I know, right? I, I, I'm probably not going to have a an Alabama candidate here, uh, whether it's Joseph Bullivis or perhaps Will Reichard. Uh, Evan McPherson, speaking of Alabama kickers, Evan McPherson from Fort Payne, Alabama. Ooh. Burns the nostrils, doesn't it, Alabama fans? Evan McPherson was 17 of 19 on field goals for the Florida Gators. From the same hometown that gave us Alabama, the iconic country band, Evan McPherson, 17 of 19. He was really good as a true freshman two years ago, too. In fact, I believe Evan McPherson's little brother, even up there at Fort Payne, is already committed to the Florida Gators. And then you've also got Brent Semeglia. Semeglia. I always get that one wrong. Kicker of Tennessee, 23 of 27, great year last year. But I'm going to go Evan McPherson, man. That dude is a smooth operator. Got really good range, and he doesn't look like he's working all that hard to make it happen. You know, some of these guys, Eddie Pinheiro, a few years ago, former Florida kicker, speaking of Florida kickers, he was one of those guys. Uh, Eddie has tremendous range, but Eddie throws the whole kitchen sink at it in terms of his technique. It doesn't exactly uh, remind you of knife through a hot butter with ease you know there's a lot going on there to produce the power that he does will reichard i think is somewhat that way or he was through last season maybe that's changed but evan mcpherson man it is smooth and easy pop and so i'll go with him as the place kicker punter these australians they have just totally taken it over we've talked about it before but i I really don't have a choice you got Max Duffy up at the University of Kentucky. He's a returning Ray Guy Award winner. I mean, you know, averaged 48.1 per punt last year. These Australians, man, they're killing the U.S. punters. And then as far as a kick returner, utility type, well, that's Jalen Waddle. I'm going to go with Jalen Waddle. Uh, led the nation in punt returns last year. You know, Jalen Waddle in conference play 
last season as far as punt return average goes. Uh, he was 11 yards better than his nearest competitor, and that was Christian Tutt of Auburn. That's how good Jalen Waddle was a year ago on punt returns. And I guess you could also say how stupid opponents were for kicking him the ball to begin with. Waddle also as a kickoff return man showed you what he's capable of doing on the 98-yarder against the Auburn Tigers in last November's Iron Bowl. You know, um, that that's what's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Hopefully this season is uh, exactly how many opportunities does Jalen Waddle even get in the return game. We're going to head to our next break. When we come back, we'll give you our first team and only team offense for our preseason All-SEC team with Southern Fried Sports, presented by Peterbrook Chocolatier Returns on Tide 100.9 FM, right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you in part by the great folks at Houston Hydra Steam, right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Locally owned, locally operated, the place to call if you're looking to get those carpets rejuvenated. Revival is the way Houston Hydra Steam refers to the flooring experience that you will get from those great folks. Carpet, rugs, upholstery, tile, and grout cleaning. I can tell you firsthand, great service, great people, great all-around work from Houston Hydrasteam. 205-553-9460. Give them a call. Houston Hydrasteam, quality work you can stand on. 205-553-9460. I guess I need to chime in on this Derrick Henry extension. With the Titans, that went down yesterday right before the deadline. No extension for Dak Prescott. He'll play under the franchise tag. I don't think too many people are going to feel too bad for Dak, considering what is he going to make? 30, is it 30? It's 30 plus million. 35, 36 million, somewhere in that neighborhood. Dak's going to be all right. You know, a little bit of controversy in terms of, uh, you know, what, what the, the outlook is for him now, big picture wise with the Dallas Cowboys, but Derrick Henry, he does sign for four more years and $50 million total. As we tell you on the program, don't get caught up in the total uh, cash numbers. All that matters is the guaranteed money. And I believe Derek's getting, what, 25 and a half, which if you consider what he would have played under the tag this year um, and then what he would have gotten, uh, you know, perhaps on the free agent market, I think a very practical outlook from Derek. You know, you also consider what next year? What does that running back free agent group look like? Oof. Alvin Kamara might get all the money of those backs too, uh, in his free agency. And so, uh, Kenyon Drake also free agent next year. Yes, that's right. Arizona Cardinal now, Kenyon Drake. But I'll say this for Derek too. And I understand it's largely about dollars and cents. And I think in, in most cases, that would be a very fair uh, assessment of how these things go. I'll tell you, Derrick Henry is a loyal dude. And I know you can look back to his recruitment and go, well, where was his loyalty to Georgia when he committed to the dogs and then flipped to Alabama? Well, here's what I will answer that with. If you knew, if you know, or if you knew, where Derrick Henry went to high school, you know that's a loyal dude. Because Exactly. And Duval. And look, I've described Yuli 
Florida in the past here on the program. Being a native first coasting myself, like Derek, um, uh, the best way I always knew to describe it, maybe it's changed now. I, I, I haven't been through Yulee in years because, honestly, I haven't been to Amelia Island or Fernandina Beach there north of Jacksonville. And that's the only reason why you'd go through Yulee is if you were going to Fernandina Beach or Yulee or Amelia Island and you wanted to stop at maybe the uh, the Hardee's there, get a little something to eat, a little biscuit and gravy like Pops. But I'm pretty sure by the time Derrick Henry was, I know this, you look at his high school statistics, by the time he was out of the 10th grade, moving into the 11th grade, Derrick Henry could have gone to high school about anywhere he wanted to. And he stuck. He stuck with Yuli. That's a loyal dude. That's a loyal dude. So let's get into, uh, and I think it worked out well. It worked out well for the Titans. Titans have to love it. They got Tannehill locked. They got Derek locked. And now they're ready to go. They drafted a back in the third round back in April. So you know, they feel good about the running back position. Defensively, you've got to think under Mike Vrabel, that's probably still going to be very much their identity. Play defense, run the football with Derrick Henry. And that's going to be intact for the foreseeable future. Now, we were talking about an all-SEC team, and it's time to, speaking of running backs, get back over, get over to the offensive side of the football, and we'll start with running backs. And if you're talking about all-SEC candidates, well, Najee Ayers, 1,200 yards a year ago. And I know I'm supposed to go with Kylan Hill of Mississippi State, but I just like Rakeem Boyd of Arkansas better. They're pretty close. You know, I think Hill is in a position to achieve beyond Rakeem Boyd individually once again this year, and that's even with Mike Leach coming in there with that air raid offense. And I'll say that because it may not show up as much. He may not be a 1,300-yard rusher again this year, Tylen Hill, but he may also catch 60 passes with Mike Leach there this year. Max Borgie, the back for Washington State, a year ago, as we talked about. I think he had 80-plus catches as a running back. So Hill's going to probably get numbers. They may just be in a different way. Uh, wide receiver, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith. That's, isn't that about all you have to say at wide receiver? Although Terrace Marshall Jr. of LSU is going to be very good once again. I think George Pickens is set up for a big year as a sophomore at Georgia. If I pick a third receiver right now, though, you know my hometown favorite, uh, Seth Williams would probably be that guy. Paul Bryant High School right here in Tuscaloosa. So no shortage of options at the wide receiver position. Jamon Osborne, I think, is a guy you would consider from Texas A&M as well. Tight end, a couple of guys I really like. Kyle Pitts is the one is the guy you're going to see on all the first-team All-SEC uh, selection lists. And he, of course, at the University of Florida. I love Jalen Weidermeyer. True freshman last year for Texas A&M. Looks like a future NFL player. Caught a couple of touchdown passes against Alabama out there in College Station last October. Offensive tackles. Alex Leatherwood of Alabama is one of those for me. And then a little bit up in the air on the other guy. I went with Wanye Morris of Tennessee, the rising sophomore. Concern I have there with Morris is that he underwent hip surgery back in January. No spring practice, so don't really know exactly where he's at. But the rehabilitation time frame for him at the time of the procedure was thought to be lengthy in nature. So we'll see where he's at from a health perspective. You also have Darnell Wright of Tennessee, one of those sophomores. Talking about sophomores, how about the, how about the freshmen that came into the league between Wanye Morris, Darnell Wright, and even Evan Neal? of Alabama if he does, in fact, kick out to right tackle for 2020. Offensive guard, um, Trey Smith, another one of those Tennessee guys. To me, he's a slam dunk. And then Ed Ingram of LSU is going to have that opportunity. You know, he had some off-the-field issues of his own last year, missed uh, a couple of three games to start the 2000. 19 season, went on to appear in 10 games last year, played a lot of snaps against Alabama here in Tuscaloosa. He could be that other guy. And Deontay Brown, I think, is certainly worthy of that mention at the offensive guard spot as well. Um, you look at uh, you look at the center position, 
And it's tempting to go ahead and put Landon Dickerson in there um, at that spot. But, you know, the coaches and the uh, and the Associated Press last year, they loved Trey Hill coming back. Um, second team All-SEC selection, started all 14 games a year ago. And so I think Trey Hill is the guy you're going to see there or have seen already to this point. You get to uh, you get to that all important quarterback position as we round things out. The guy who's going to take snaps from that All SEC center, and that's where I'm really conflicted. I might need Joe Gaither to help me out here. Joe Gaither, if you had to pick first team All SEC quarterback today, who's your pick? Uh Tough one, but I guess I have to go with Kellen Mond based off experience. Well, Trask is there. I, I think I, I think I Mond know. would be my pick. Man, there are. I'm so not feeling many. great about either one though. No, I think Mac Jones deserves some at least mention. Yes, I mean I know he doesn't have the experience of Kellen Mond. I know you know he wasn't sort of uh, involved as much. You know, Kyle Trask is basically Mac Jones, right? He had a few more games of experience last year. Felipe Franks doesn't break his ankle against Kentucky. We never see Kyle Trask last year, maybe. And now Kyle Trask has kind of become this flavor of the month for first-team All-SEC. Did we really see that much more of Kyle Trask last year than we saw of Mac Jones? You know, Mac, he returns as the SEC's highest-rated passer among quarterbacks with four more starts. So, uh, you know, he was just behind Tua Tagovailoa and Joe Burrow in that regard. So, I mean, you got Mac, you got I mean, Bo Nix was the SEC freshman of the year last year. Yeah, you can laugh at that and kind of talk about how Derek Stingley Jr. was robbed on that front. You got KJ Costello coming in from Stanford. You got KJ Costello showing up on some. First round mocks for next April in the NFL draft. Jamie Newman comes into the league. Um, you're not sure exactly what the status of JT Daniels could be this year. Also in that mix at Florida, Felipe Franks now at Arkansas. Jared Guarantano, don't trust a lick at Tennessee. So for me, it probably comes down to Mac Jones. Mond, Trask, and Costello. And when I put those four names out there, you said it first with Mond and the experience he has. He's kind of become an enigma, though, Kellen Mond. And that couple of things with Kellen Mond, you see the talent, you think, man, it just doesn't quite always get there. Now, he's actually played pretty well in three career starts against Alabama. If you just want to look at Kellen Mond through the, the Alabama lens, he's played pretty well. So I think he's probably most deserving of preseason recognition. But this thing could go any number of ways by the time, hopefully, by the time we hopefully get to Thanksgiving weekend. We're going to head to our final break. We come back. We'll put a wrap on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. A hot, humid summer afternoon. The sky partially sunny. A few spots could see a passing storm through the evening hours. The high today, 97. Tonight's low, 75. Tomorrow's sunny during the morning. A few isolated afternoon storms are possible. The high, 96. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app Justin Thomas up there at the Memorial Tournament at Muirfield Village in Dublin, Ohio, now at plus three, made a birdie on his 14th hole of the day to get it to three over par. His playing partner, one of his playing partners, Dustin Johnson, not exactly a 
a fun morning for DJ up there in Ohio. Plus six through 15. All eyes, by the way, on Tiger Woods coming up in about just 20 minutes or so. Tiger going to go off the first tee there at Muirfield Village. He'll be joined by Rory McIlroy and Brooks Kepka. How about that for a little afternoon pro golf on the cable? The work productivity doesn't promise to be high between now and, say, 5 p.m. at a lot of places, around a lot of houses, because it seems like, what, we're all pretty much working from home these days, except for Joe Gaither. Joe Gaither, man, he keeps clocking it. The MVP of the Tide 100.9 FM setup, Jolton Joe Gaither, as always, doing a great job of producing the program. We've had a lot of fun on the show today, guest-free, but uh, we gave you our Southern Fried Sports All-SEC team for you on a Thursday. You're going to have your lunch whistle today, and that, of course, on a Thursday is going to be Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Won't find a bigger fan of Frank and Will and the rest of the crew there. At Heat Pizza Bar, if you prefer takeout, you can do that at 205-632-3282. Weekly, nightly specials they have for you. Open for dine-in on the weekends. You can still do that at Heat Pizza Bar. Downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. No surprise, no